All right, welcome to Behind the Bar. I'm your host, Danny Johnson, and uh, we are here. And uh, my guests are always other Dry Bar comedians who have had Dry Bar special or specials. Uh, as a reminder, our uh, Dry Bar, our uh, Behind the Bar podcast is sponsored by RX Solutions. If you're looking to save up to 75% on your next prescription and you're underinsured or uninsured, go to rxsolutions.online. My guest today is someone I had the pleasure of working with uh, and meeting and chatting with online uh, thereafter. He's got, I believe, two Dry Bar Comedy specials. Uh, another yeah. special I think I saw uh, live at Franklin Theater. Right. And you might have seen him on Huckabee. Please welcome the uh, terribly funny Johnny W. Johnny. Terribly. Is that like being uh, infamous rather than famous? Well, here's why I say terribly, terribly. funny. because I'm, I'm a little jealous. I, okay. So you do have two specials, right? I've got uh, the dry bar that is getting, it'll be out when this drops. I think you said this, this will come out late August. This, my dry bar, my second dry bar will be out mid-August is what they're telling me. Okay. Okay. Well, congratulations. Yeah, we, thanks so much. Yeah. And what was the live at Franklin Theater special? That was. We shot that in 2016. That okay. was self-produced. Uh, I have buddies. It's Nashville. So I have a ton of friends who are videographers and things like that. So and cinematographers. So I had a buddy who's a longtime collaborator of mine. Um, and uh, he wanted to film it. So we shot that uh, on my own dime. So, yeah. and uh, we recouped, but <laughs> as you know, it's, it's expensive to shoot comedy specials. For sure. Yeah, for so, sure. Uh, so that was in 2016. I think we shot it in 2015, released it 2016. And so, uh, and that's available on all platforms too. I think that's on Apple Music. I still get a little, I get a few pin, uh, a few pennies yeah. a, a month from those uh, downloads. You get it from from Sound Exchange? Are you registered yeah, with them? Uh, I'm with Sound Exchange and I'm also on, uh, what's the TuneCore? Yes. Who puts you on stores and things like that. So. Right. Like you get to see somebody in like the Netherlands watch it on their. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Something. Not too bad. But yeah, that's been fun. And uh, and yeah, so I have that. And then I've, I've done a couple of TV spots for. Uh, what's called Circle Network. I think it's the Opry's Network. It's a new kind of uh, startup channel. So okay. TV spots like that. But yeah, the dry bars uh, have been super fun. And uh, yeah, they've, they've been great to work with and very cool. And you did done, yours. When did you do yours? Um, you one of the first seasons, right? I think four. So I, I think January 19. Okay. Yeah, mine was late 19, but it didn't release until 21. Yeah, mine released. Pandemic. I got mine with nine days notice. So I guess someone fell out. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I was that's like, man, crazy. how do you, how can I lose 30 pounds in nine days? Yeah, before? buddy. I'm telling you, that's a, yeah, it happens. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> that's what I always tell my wife. I was like, I just need to shave and shower and lose 50 pounds and I'll be ready for the show. Right. So I'll be yeah. in the shower for yeah, four days. a long time. Yeah. <laughs> how much steam can we get going here? Are you, um, you're in Nashville. Mm hmm. Right. And uh, is that where you were born and raised? No, I grew up in uh, East Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. Go I remember there was, a, there was a comedy zone in Knoxville many, many years ago. Right? Yeah, I wasn't there. I, I was there when it was there, but I wasn't like uh, uh, allowed to go to comedy clubs back then. Yeah. I would have been forbidden. forbidden. But they had another club there when I started comedy that I would go back and forth and do spots at uh, when I was just MC because... Um, my brother still lives there and I would go stay with him and make 25 yeah. bucks a show. As you know, that, that, that's the ropes, but that was a club called side splitters. Yeah. And they have a Tampa club as well. It was a chain. Yeah. And, uh, and I think the side splitters since closed in Knoxville, but it's still up in uh, Tampa, but yeah, I think they have two locations now in Tampa, which is yeah. fine, but. but side splitters was, yeah, it was pretty wild. And uh, that was my first, that was one of my first club experiences was there yeah. in Knoxville, but yeah, they they're so funny because they don't have a club at all now. And it's a big city. 
yeah. not comedy clubs. You, those are the two, you think of Nashville and Knoxville when you think of Tennessee. I mean, yeah, Nashville, Knoxville, Memphis, the big three. And it's like, uh, you can't, there's no rooms. I mean, there might be comedy rooms in Knoxville that I'm just not aware of, but. There's yeah. a, uh, where's Johnson, Johnson City's in Tennessee, right? Johnson City. Yeah, it's just east of Knoxville. Yeah, it's yeah, about. I mean, they have a comedy zone there. Mm-hmm. What is it like attached to a hotel and all that stuff? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 In one of the banquet rooms or something. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime it says comedy night, you know, it's like, that's not what it's meant for. Yeah. This is like the Kiwanis canceled. So now we're going to have a comedy night. (laughs) I did. I'm I'm, I'm near Jacksonville, Florida. And I did a show last night in uh, Fruitland Park at this community center. And they told me um, it used to be the library. Oh yeah. Okay. And I was like, that's how I opened my show. And I'm like, so you just decided, yeah, we don't need no books here. Yeah. <laughs> We're tired of people learning. Right. I don't need no readers walking around this town. <laughs> there is. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. People, when people like try to make comedy out to be like this art form and it's so great. It's so you're so smart. And it's like, no, it don't, it's just, it's just laughs. It's okay. Yeah. And so I, I think it's dangerous when comics start to like, I think comedy is an art form and it, or it's more of a craft, but Comedy can be important, but I hate when comics, you can catch them trying to be important. Yes. That's annoying to me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. I, I, there, funny. There's not comedy. Yeah. There's comic sets that I'll watch and I go, man, that was an important comedy set, but he didn't know it at the time. Right. You know, but when you watch a comic kind of wink at the camera, like get ready for the bomb, I'm getting ready to drop yeah, you. Yeah. It just feels like an altar call at a bad evangelical like tent meeting to me. Like I grew right. up in church circles, so I can see when the person's like, okay, I'm going to do one song. Yeah. I'm going to hit him. And then it's like, so when I see a comic kind of doing that, I'm like, all right, buddy, I see what you're doing. Yeah. It's almost like a creepy salesman that smiles at you after they make yeah. the offer, like to force you into like, yeah. Yeah. Like, ah, ah. yeah. What would you pay now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. That's one of the weird things. I think all comics have their weird pet peeves like that. And I think it's, yeah. it's kind of rooted in your own upbringing and your own weird neuroses. And I think that's one of them. That's one of mine is I, when I catch myself being like, well, I'm an artist. How dare people like, uh, I, I have to kind of stop myself and be like, what are you doing? You tell you sling jokes for a living. Shut up, idiot. Like right. I don't know. Rick Roberts is a good buddy of mine who also is a dry bar comic. And, uh, we talk all the time and we were have we were riding bikes the other day and he said he did a speaker's conference and one of the speakers is one of his catchphrases was your ego is not your amigo. <laughs> and I thought that was so great. That's so great. It's true. Anytime you catch yourself getting like a little full of yourself, it's always destructive. It's never good. Like, when I had like a, don't they I had know a, who I am? It's never going to be good. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a comment made to me about my dry bar set. And of course we focus on the one person in the yeah. crowd, not, you know, the, like if you're a live show, the one person not laughing at this, it's the one comment said something like, I would love to see you up your intellectual quotient. <laughs> you want me to come yeah. on, man. I'm just trying to make people laugh. So funny, man. Well, that's the thing is I like there's smart comedy that I like. And then there's really silly comedy. I like, like, I like the idea that there's so much, it's like music. There's a million different yeah. flavors and all that stuff. And, uh, it's like, imagine telling Louis Anderson that he needs to be smarter. Right. 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 Like that's not, that's, do you even understand Louis Anderson? Yeah. Like, he's a genius, but he's a goof. That's yeah. his whole deal. If I happen to make a point on stage with one of my jokes, it was an accident. Right. You know, the thing a- I do like to do though, is like challenge, like if I know I'm in front of like, I do a lot of churches. If I'm in front of like an evangelical group, 
I like to a little bit challenge the status quo. I hate to feel like I'm just pandering. Yeah. You know, like if you find yourself getting like a bunch of applause breaks, uh, my buddy Aaron Weber calls it clapter. <laughs> it's not laughter and it's not really clapping. It's yeah. just kind of agreement. Like yeah. I think if you find yourself in a room where you're just getting an hour of like agreement nods and yeah. clapter, that's a kind of, you got to check yourself and be like, am I challenging their beliefs at all? Not challenge their spiritual beliefs, you know, religious beliefs, but like, like I do a joke about uh, doing a homeschool convention, which is a true story in Fort Worth, Texas. And we booked the show and the lady calls me all excited. And I was homeschooled my last two years of high school. And she found that out. You got to write some homeschool jokes. They'll love you. We yeah. love the, these people love to be teased. And I was like, lady, I'm on it. And then I go, they do not love it. And then, cause then I say, do you want to hear the joke that I told them that made them mad? Right. And the audience always goes, yeah. And then I say, like, I run out. I go, what is the difference between a thousand homeschoolers and my dogs? And they were like, what? And I said, my dogs are vaccinated. <laughs> and like, I tell that joke in evangelical churches, and many of them are whatever. They have their own feelings about sure. teens or whatever. Some of them are homeschool families. But I think it's important to be like, let's laugh at ourselves a little bit. Like, right. don't just toe the line to be like, these liberals are ruining the country. Like, all you're going to get is clapter from that. Yeah. Like push back a little bit just to show them that like you have a pulse. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's just my own sense. No, I get it. Cause it's almost like you're preaching to the choir, right? You're just, yeah. there. so I, I, that's a challenge. Sometimes I have, um, I have a lot of different audiences that I do comedy for, but, but I do have a lot of faith-based audiences and I love them. And, um, but yeah, sometimes you just gotta be like, don't get so comfortable that everything has to just totally line up with everything you believe. Like here, another yeah. viewpoint every now and again. Um, that's one of the things that comedy can do that not all art forms can do and all crafts can do. You know, when I used to watch Richard Pryor, I didn't have any idea what he was talking about. His, yeah. ex his life experience was nothing like mine, but he kind of drew me into his world, you know? And I was like, Oh, this is how this other person, like, yeah, that's okay. That's totally okay to have that. It's funny. You have me thinking, what a great point, Johnny. You have me like kind of going through my set in my head. Do I have any jokes that, I don't necessarily believe what you know what, yeah. what the joke is about. Like, so the, I think the closest thing I think of is anytime I may take a dig in a, about a, a woman I'm in a relationship with, right? right. Or my ex-wife. Like, obviously, I'm not a chauvinistic person, yeah. but that's the joke, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and some people might walk away like, "Oh, he's a show," you know. Yeah, that's always the thing you're got to be careful. That's the thing is like I hate that you have to be so careful, but like that's the thing about satire is you're taking the risk that not everybody's going to understand that it's satire. And yeah. you have to just be able to live with that, you know, and that's, that's a weird line that you walk. Cause if you just stay, if you keep your comedy very broad yeah. and accessible to everybody, it's so vanilla. It's like, um, yeah. Jerry Seinfeld used to compare it to like a cliff, like one side of the cliff is the setup and the yeah. other side of the cliff is the punchline. And yeah, the distance has to be just the right amount because right. it's too short. It's, there's no excitement. There's no yeah. thrill. And if it's too far, you crash and burn like evil can evil. Yeah you can't believe the setup doesn't yeah. match punchline. So you have to find, and that's what you're tweaking when you do jokes in front of a lot of different crowds, you're tweaking that distance and that arc and that all of that. And so, yeah, yeah I think you've got to push, but you don't want to be on stage being like somebody that you're totally not. I mean, I, we've all seen comics that they've had 15 year careers. And so now they have jokes about being single and then they have jokes about being married. Right. And so the, the audience kind of get this whiplash of like, wait a minute, I thought you were single. Yeah. You know? And they just have forgotten that they're giving the audience this weird yeah, you know, uh, cognitive dissonance about their own personality on stage and with accidentally doing it. You know? 
Can I tell you my favorite joke that I was told not to tell when you talk about pushing the boundaries a little bit or making people yeah. feel a little uncomfortable? Are you a baseball fan? Uh-huh. So I was doing a show, this is many, many moons ago, for the Chipper Jones Foundation, the Hall of Fame third baseman for the Braves, right? That's a good gig. Yeah. So it was me and one other comic. And before the show, I meet with the agent, Chipper's agent, and the, and there's all these players, ex-players, current players. It's a big silent auction for this charity event. And they said, uh, just, I had this great opening joke, I thought, and it happens to be about Chipper. So before the show, they were like, hey, just don't do any jokes about Chipper. He's really, <laughs> he just doesn't. And well, I wish the comedian. Don't do your favorite thing. Yeah, I bailed. I didn't do it. But the joke was, so you know that the Mets old stadium, which is now City Field, used to be called Shea Stadium, right? Uh -huh. So my joke was going to be. Chipper named his, one of his sons, or his only son, I don't know, one of his sons, Shay, because mm -hmm. he hits really well in Shea Stadium, yeah. which goes to show you why he didn't name his son Playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, that's amazing. You got, I mean, I, I would have a hard time not doing that joke. I know, but I was like, you know, so young. I may have been five or seven years yeah. in comedy, so young. That's when it. it's dangerous because that's when you might do it anyway. And yeah. It really could have hurt you. I just so thought you, kind of, you probably made the right call, but yeah. Yeah, it was there to, it's, his, it's his foundation or whatever. You don't yeah. want to you gotta tread a little bit lightly, but man, I don't know. And I it's wanted his autograph too. Right. Well, that's the thing is like, I always feel like when I'm brought in to do something and they try to tell you how to do it, it's like weird. Cause it's like, if they bring in a speaker and a guy and if somebody's going to be the honor guy, I'm going to give the award, I'm going to do the thing. And then they bring you in. It's like, well, you've already got a guy that's going to be the, the kiss the butt guy. Right. Brought me in because I'm funny. Like, let me be funny. But I do. There's a weird thing. Like, again, that's my religious upbringing. Like, there's a thing in church, especially Pentecostal churches like I was raised in. I would call it like honor culture. Almost like the man of God is like this. Don't whatever you do, don't say anything about right. the man of God, no matter what. There's, there, and so accountability can get kind of lost. Mm. So I think comedy is that great meritocracy because accountability is everywhere like the equalizer you can't yeah. get so big that a joke can't be made about you so when somebody says whatever you do don't make fun of the king i'm just like well yeah that's what i'm here for <laughs> it would be really hard but I, again that's one of those mistakes you might make as a young comic but as you get older you're like let's get the check and get out of here <laughs> yeah well what do you what did the, so what, what's your take on the will smith chris rock i know it's been played out in the media you know over and over again yeah i mean i think in the moment how like both of those guys uh, I don't know him, but I, it, it's like, it's weird at the moment. I was like, I knew it was going to be huge. I think somebody was tweeting that it just happened. Right. And I was trending and blowing up on Twitter and I immediately turned it on. I wouldn't have normally watched the show. I turned it on. The reason I turned it on is I was like, he's nominated tonight. And if he wins, he's going to have to give a speech after this. Yeah. And I wanted to see that moment. And sure enough, he won and then gave that awkward speech yeah yeah kind of defending and and whatever and it was very awkward and the people that thought it wasn't real were the most fascinating people to me the people that were like well that's clearly staged i was like you don't even understand there's yeah. no way it's staged it's too weird yeah you know um they would have uh, i think i said on my podcast that i do i said the people who thought it was staged have never seen chris rock act <laughs> you know he's not that good it was awkward. Right. Right. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, obviously comedians mostly sided with rock and thought he made this kind of harmless. 
I don't, people thought it was a cruel joke. I don't know about that. I think he was kind of reaching, like yes. he was making like an aside comment. It was un- it wasn't unplanned. Even like a, it was, yeah, it wasn't even like a, whatever I do, I'm going to make fun of her bald head. Right. Uh, I think it was that kind of a thing where he just threw it out there and then maybe, and he laughed at first, I guess, and then looked yeah. over at her and she wasn't laughing. And he just thought, I need to do something. And so then it yeah. became a, like macho moment or whatever. Yeah, it came out that it was not planned. It was a bit of an improv off the cuff yeah. thing. And I think the thing that bothered me the most was it's a bit of a bully. He chose to go up there based yeah. on who said it. Yeah, that's Right. right. If it was Wanda Sykes or The Rock, he would have yeah. not slapped them. Right. But it was a smaller dude. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny, too, because uh, right up to the moment, he didn't see it coming either. Yeah. You know, no. he, he was laughing all the way up until it happened. Yeah. I almost thought it was going to be like a funny exchange between the two of them, like a fake yeah. hug or a fake strangle or something yeah. like silly. Right. <laughs> but you knucklehead. And then he really hit him. So, yeah, I don't know. And it's it'll be interesting to see what rock says about it because i know he said a couple of things in um shows since then but i don't know what you can say like when social media takes something every take is taken away from you that's one of the dangerous things for comedy about social media is by the time you go to write a joke about whatever yeah it's been so done to death especially it's pop culture so literally he's going to be a victim of that his own moment is going to be have been taken away from him by chad 562 on twitter sure because that joke's already been, that angle's already been taken. Yeah. So he'll have to really craft it or just walk away and be like, I don't care to talk about this ever again. I don't want to be known for this moment. And that would probably be the ideal thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, it's going to be very interesting to watch what he says. And it would just be wild if Will Smith came out at the end of his special or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's the thing too. Yeah. Like if they've buried the hatchet secretly and now there'll be a big moment where they have a fake exchange or there'll be some yeah. publicity stunt for real that happened. So. I um here's why at the beginning of the podcast I called you what did I call you terribly funny terribly funny so here's what I here's what why I'm jealous of uh and I know I shouldn't be jealous I'm and I'm being a little bit facetious but I want so I watched your special again right yeah and I have some of my favorite bits uh jotted down here the double decker grave of course uh phase two of losing the weight the untuck and dark clothes killed me I love that (laughs) yeah um carbohydrates holding the world together in the q-tip um bit but you have so many punchlines quant not only quality quantity I'm, yeah. I'm i think i'm a bit more everyone has their own style right i'm i'm a bit more metho- like not methodical but like a little i'm slower mm-hmm. so it made me you know i watched your special when it, when it came out and then i rewatched it recently yeah and it just, i had so much more appreciation for the just pow funny just boom but it, like it was you're I'm just stuck in the corner of a boxing match. Of, of, yeah, it was great. I mean, it's just so. Thanks. I don't. I don't really know where that comes from. Uh, when I see somebody that's more uh, a, a style uh, that's like closer to yours, I I get jealous of that because I think I'm like hurrying. Like if I ever get nervous, because I'm already really rapid fire, and if I ever get nervous, I'll hurry through my setups. And right. punchlines won't land as hard, and I'll be like, "What's yeah. going on?" And I'll watch it back, and I'll be like, "Oh, I hurried through this. They they didn't get all the information they needed right, right. to laugh because I blah, 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 I got to get to the punchline." So there's this kind of clock in my head. I think from when I started, you know, when you start, you're terrified, yeah, and you think every time you pause, 
that the audience is like, get off the stage. You know, I don't even stop to drink water. I'm just crazy. Right. Just go, go, go. Cause I'm just terrified of being like hooked at the Apollo or whatever guy comes out and sweeps you. Right. So I think from that nervousness and that energy, it wasn't like, I'm going to be a rapid fire comic, like Henny Youngman, or I'm going to be a rapid fire comic, yeah. or whoever. It was more like an urgency in my head. And I think it just never went away. Another thing that I think is really ingrained in my style that never really went away is like a little like lilting afterthought that kind of almost steps on the laugh. Right. And a lot of that was the same thing of like, if I let them completely stop laughing before I start again. Yeah. And I'll kill the energy of the room. Right. And so now it's just kind of ingrained into my style for whatever reason. Yeah. And I've had people say, well, you're step on the laugh there. And I was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but this is just what I do. I, I don't know how to stop doing yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't see that. But I get I get where you where you can, you know, going going as yeah. the speed you do. But what so here's a testament to your success, right? The self-awareness to watch yourself and go, hey, I was going to why aren't the punches landing? Yeah, you know, yeah. going too fast. And, yeah. There's too many, too many young guys coming up and they, you know, I'll, I'll still go to open mics occasionally and try to, you know, work on some new material and they get up there and bomb and they come off and they're like, I killed it. That was so great. And I was like, I don't know. You yeah. have, I don't know what you, I, it's hard for me to give feedback. Right. So you have to have that self-awareness of what. I got to start uh, right now. I've got a new social media manager. And so they're posting a lot of old clips because I just sent them this whole library video and they're just like, all right, we're going to pull clips. And so now they're posting. It's so funny to watch yourself too go from thin to fat, to thin to fat, to right. middle to fat. I'm just like, I'm like Oprah. I'm just yeah, coming out. You don't know what you spin the wheel, what Oprah is going to walk out. Right. Johnny, you're talking to a guy that has a thinner picture of himself over exactly. his shoulder. Exactly. That's your goal. That's your goal picture. It's like the woman who hangs the bikini of the summer vacations coming up. Yeah. So you got to yeah, hang yeah. that up so you can look at it every day. I'm going to get into those jeans. But, uh, <laughs> But anyway, so that's weird. That's the weird one weird part. And the other one is like, I've told some of these jokes a thousand times. And so they'll pick one out and it'll be an old clip, you know, when I'm yeah. he pounds heavier and I'm telling it and I'm wondering like, what version of this is this going to be? Yeah. And you do, you go, oh, I've added this since then. Or wow, I was hurrying there. Or man, that crowd was really yeah. hot. Uh, I see why they chose this. That crowd was really hot, even though I wasn't terrific there. So, but I need to watch myself. All that said, I need to watch myself more because I think you do get into the habit of like, once you've got an hour that you really love and you're proud of the tendency to just be like, let's coast and you can develop bad habits again. Yeah. Last, I had one where I was uh, touching my chest a mm -hmm. lot. You ever do that where you fumble yeah. with things and you're just oh, like, yeah. you know, I started leaving the mic in the stand a few years ago because I realized like the mic was dropping on me as I would get going and the sound guys like having to crank the mic and they start feeding my guy. Oh, and I'd pull it back up. I wanted to make sure the crowd was seeing my face, I think. And I was just kind of nervously like dropping the mic. And then, so I just was like, I watched, I think I watched Norm's special and I was just like, I'm just going to leave it in the stand. He left it in the stand. Seinfeld leaves it in the stand. What's the yeah. arm? Then it's a, a fixed position, but now I've got my hands free to just do yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I don't want to be like the show in the exit row on the plane lady. Right. Right. So I have to control that. So anyway, I started just like, I noticed in a couple of clips that I was just like, anyway, you guys know what I'm doing, talking about. And I like, how do you do it? What's wrong with you? <laughs> what in the world? And so uh, my buddy Rick talks about that too. He's like, when you get rid of one tick, like another one will like pop up. It's like, yeah. you can't stop them all. <laughs> People shift the mic stand like a, like they're an over the road trucker. You know, you, yeah. see, you see that one a lot. <laughs> I I, I did that. I was guilty of that last night uh, with the mic stand, but um, 
two two of my favorite comedians have a a verbal uh after a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. Jake Johansson and Nate Bar- is it Bargazzi? Bargazzi, yeah, Bargazzi, yeah. And they have that little thing. That's I've worked. I've never met Nate, but I've worked with Jake a couple times. Super mm-hmm. funny. Did Letterman yeah. like thirty thousand? Oh, incredible. Times. Yeah, it's incredible. And he's like, yeah, it's just one of those things. I'd love to get rid of it, but I just don't. Right. I, I don't. It's just part of what I've been in there over thirty years, and and it doesn't see it doesn't hurt him, but it's just an interesting, you know, when you because when I watch comedy, you know, sometimes the person I'm watching was like, why aren't you laughing? That's funny. I'm like, I know it's hilarious. Yeah, I'm, I'm absorbing like the technique. Yeah, you're watching writing. it like a like a scientist. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. watching it like you're observing phenomena in their natural habitat. And then I'm getting angry because they're so good. And yeah, I want to, how do I, I need to throw all my jokes out. And- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's the hard part when you go to a show and you're on a show with like other great comics and you're like, I got, you, you feel like I got nothing. You walk, I have nothing for these people. It's like that, right. that moment of doubt. I think imposter syndrome is a little bit healthy. It, I do think it can be crippling, but I think imposter syndrome is healthier than the other thing, which is the open mic comic you're talking about that will never get better. Right. Because they go, well, I crushed. What do you mean? And you're like, no, you didn't crush. Or like a comic who's getting a laugh, but they don't know why they're getting it. Yeah, or they're yeah. getting a laugh for the wrong reason. And they'll always get that laugh for the wrong reason because the audience is like uncomfortable or they feel sorry for the guy or whatever. Like that person really can't be helped. But somebody who's a little bit like, do I really belong here? That person's probably going to work a little harder. Right. But I mean, obviously there's extremes to it. I mean, I've been in positions before where I was like, like it can be crippling anxiety about your, your presence on stage. And that's not good. You want to have that happy medium of like, people always ask me that, do you get nervous? And the truth is I'm not nervous. Like it's going to go bad, but I have like a healthy level of like butterflies of like, sure, I got to bring it to these people. Many times they don't know who you are right? or they go, Who's the guy this year at the yeah. fundraiser event? Who is he? Right. So you, they don't know you. They have no, re, they have no stake in your career. And so yeah. there should be a healthy level of like, I need to bring it. Yeah. But not so far that you're like, I can't do this. Like right. you want to find that happy balance. But if you're so aloof that you walk out and be like, yeah, I always kill. This will go great. Yeah, like, no. I don't know. I don't, first of all, I don't understand that person at no. all. Mm-hmm. I know there are people like that. And some of them really do kill. Yeah. But I don't understand them. That's not my, that's not been my path <laughs> at all. I'm not, I have that anxiousness too and the butterflies and I'm not comfortable until I get my first laugh. Right. You feel that relief. Like, okay. Yeah. See? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, the anxiousness is also too, it's like, you know, if there's an MC and a feature before me, I'm like, my anxiousness is like, get me up there now. Uh-huh. Like get me, uh-huh. they're doing fine, but I get me up there now. Yeah. And then there's the thing of like, uh, if you do shows a lot, like I do a lot of shows in, uh, in faith-based events. And so they aren't many times not used to having comedy. So they won't know how to set the stage for you in a way, or maybe there's not something that happens where it's out of their control and there's no way, but to basically wreck the show. Right. Uh, an example, I did the last show that I did, uh, and the people were so sweet. It was amazing. Uh, and they were very kind, but it was a, a youth event, which those are whole, that's a whole other wild card yeah. you're doing for, but there was a lot of adults in the room too, which was cool, but it was in Sweetwater, Tennessee. And I go out and I get to the place and they go, oh, they're going to have 200 uh, students and leaders and adults. Great. Small uh, Baptist church. And then they said, uh, they came down, I was eating and they said, uh, just so you know, one of the students, um, 
an 18 year old student died in a car accident uh, last night, yesterday. And the service for him is actually tonight. So it could actually affect our attendance. And beyond that, we feel like we have to mention it and acknowledge it. And um, we'll say a prayer. And then I'll try to turn, I'll try to get it all back to normal. And then I'll bring you, I was first. So it was like wow. me and there was gonna be a worship team and then there's gonna be a preacher. And I was like, this is, and the people, the guy, the other people were down there that were on the show or on the event. And they were like, looking at me like, yeah, how are you going to do this? And I go, oh no, it's going to be awful. And I said, I get why they're doing it because they feel like they have to, but this is not ideal. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't like, I'll never go out. I was just like, look, it's not my event. I can't tell them not to acknowledge this. Right. Obviously it's horrible for the family and whatever. I just was hoping like, oh, maybe should, they should do it later in the thing or before the preacher, maybe they could all pray. Nope. They wanted to do it first. And sure enough, they did. And it got really heavy in the room. And then he kind of tried to bring it back up to normal. Right. And then it was still heavy when I took the stage. And so that you talk about relief when I got my first laugh. Yeah. It's like, okay. Cause I was prepared to bomb for 45 minutes. Sure. And uh, I was like, I just already set my mind like, well, this will be bad. And I'll just have a story of the right. worst situation ever. And I muddled through and I, I got the check and got out. But actually they were really great. Sometimes in a heavy room like that, they're ready for that release valve. Sure. You know, I think maybe, I mean, maybe that, I don't know exactly. I mean, obviously there's, you, there's no way to know, but um, sometimes I go into like a really, the fun place you're like oh we're the fun church or we're the fun right you're like okay and they can be real arm foldy like ah oh, we've had other people you're yeah you're good they're kind of like uh jaded and sometimes you go into a really tight like religious traditional church and you're like oh yeah. man they're gonna hate me and my fart jokes they're not gonna oh, like me and then you tell a joke and they're like boom, they're ready it's like you pop yeah. the balloon well do you remember what you opened with when that with that show with the with someone passing it uh i didn't mention it I'd said, he had said something, I think about the church being old, but he goes, it's not haunted or whatever. And I think I said something like, that's exactly what you would say if your church was haunted. That's a hundred percent what you would say. Right. Come on in, come on in kids. But uh, it was like, it was just one of those things of like, try to move on and put distance between you and that yeah. announcement. And so yeah. if I had to put my head down and just bore through the wall and then get to the other side, then it's like, oh, that was way back then. Now we're into the comedy but I was prepared to just swallow 10 minutes of jokes to get there. And it really only yeah. took about two minutes to get him laughing. Which Great. I was more than surprised, more than yeah. surprised. It yeah. wasn't like, I'm so good. Of course it worked out. I'm like really shocked that it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, um, you know, we've, we've talked about your dry bar, your, the experience you've had. So when did you actually start? how did you get into comedy? I know you mentioned Start. Knoxville and the MCing or whatever. Or yeah, by then I was already living near Nashville uh, in a town called Mount Juliet. And um, we, uh, we moved here uh, in 2007, late 2006. And I took a job at a church. I was a young adults pastor at a church for like four years. Uh, but in the meantime, in 08, I did like a, we did this event, college event or something at my church. And a bunch of students from all over the state came in. And because we were hosting it, the guy, the main guy was like, Hey, you should get up and do the, you know, icebreaker thing. And I was like, I'm not gonna, and I was in bands and stuff before. So I knew I was like comfortable a little bit in front of a crowd, but only if I had like a guitar and yeah. my buddy with me. So my buddy was busy. No, he wasn't busy. He was sick. Yeah. I called me he's sick. He's like, I can't do it. I, I, 
sick. I've been bed all day. I go, are you kidding me? I was like all excited. Like we've got this opportunity. We'll do a dumb song or something. We'd write these silly songs and, and, um, he couldn't do it. So I just thought, well, I could either just like let this moment pass or I could like, for whatever reason, I just thought I'm going to try just to do jokes. I'll make fun of the other college. I found out what other colleges were coming. Yeah. And I like went online and looked them up and got pictures of their mascots and put them on. And then I like had my buddy who does Photoshop really well. He Photoshopped like what their mascot should be. And I think one of them was like university of Tennessee at Martin. Uh, and I was like, I called them like the fighting Van Buren's or something like that. It was just something really stupid stuff like that. But the students, it was very personalized. And so they dug it. It's almost like when you do a show at a room and they've got a weird chandelier and you mention the chandelier and everyone cracks up because it was like, they never noticed that right. their chandelier looks like it's the starship enterprise or whatever. But when you say it, it's like, Oh my gosh, it does. It was that kind of a thing where it was so personalized to them that it was a hit. And if it hadn't been, I never would have done it again. I didn't right. have like the confidence to be like, of course I'll be a comedian. But when that happened, it kind of like lit the pilot light. And I was like, okay, yeah. this could be a thing. I was really lost at the time of what, what am I supposed to be doing with my yeah. life? Like I was happy doing ministry, but I was also like, what's the next thing? And uh, yeah, that was just provided it. So yeah. all my angst of being like a 20 something and 30 something angst ridden person of like never went to college all of that it just went away in a flash right. just like i'm going to devote myself to this i'm going to be as funny as i can be and i just started getting really serious about being funny and uh yeah and so that i got a little momentum from that a few events came from that some colleges started having me come in right. and like oh and so that was pretty cool because it was like one of those events it was almost like a showcase event yeah and so i'd go in and make 75 bucks to come to you know, Murfreesboro and do middle Tennessee state and do an event right. there. And then, uh, and then, uh, in, uh, 2012, I started opening for a guy named Tim Hawkins. Yeah. Uh, who's pretty big in the like church. And you knew him previously or just met him? I met him a couple of times and, uh, there's a conference that a lot of the church comics attend and I had met him there in okay. um, one of those years. He's super kind. And I mean, uh, he was already kind of a hero of mine because I never met anybody like so prolific. He had so much material and he was so humble. So he was really a great resource and uh, they liked what I did. I had a dumb little like CD by then after three or four years of doing it. And I right. gave it to his manager who was also his brother at the time. Uh, he's still his brother. He's not his manager. <laughs> he was his brother at the time. Now they've, now they've separated. Yeah, not so much, but anyway, no, his manager is his brother. And, uh, he was looking for somebody to kind of take some gigs that Tim couldn't do. I think at the time, it was one of those things where Tim was uh, transitioning out of doing as many private events. He was doing more ticketed events. And so they were like, we got to have somebody that can do youth. Like, I don't have anybody that can. And somebody recommended me. And I was like, where How are they? Is that? So, so I gave him my CD and I thought I'll never hear from him again. And then I did heard right. from his brother and Hey, would you want to open for Tim on a weekend? And so I did. And that was in April of 2012. Right. And I was already doing like, I don't know, 30 or 40 things a year, but it was like a big fast forward button for sure. Getting for sure. it because like that, that weekend really went really well. And then he started taking me out on more events with him. And those are like 2000 people, yeah. 3000 people in the crowds. And so it was a huge open door and, um, yeah. and he was cool too. And it kind of taught me a lot about like being gracious on stage because he had learned over the years that like it didn't matter when he brought out his openers 
so he did not make his openers open cold. He was like, they're not here to see you. So I want to put you in the best position. So he would come out and do like almost an hour. Really? Yeah. And then he would go, Hey, I want to uh, introduce you to a friend of mine. He's been traveling me. He's going to be your new favorite comedian. Uh, welcome Johnny W. And I'd come out and I do 15 minutes and then I would kick to like intermission. And then they would all like run to my merge table which was unbelievable. Tim was always great about that. He was like, make your money, dude. I mean, he was always, everything I'd heard in like club comedy and comedy in general was like, don't tick off the headliner. Right. Out of his way. Whatever you do, don't step on any of his premises. If he does, if he has a joke about Facebook, you need to lose your Facebook joke, you know, and just very like what tread lightly. And Tim yeah. was the opposite. He was like, dude, I want you to like kill. He goes, you gotta, you're so gifted. Like this is your, I want you to make the show better. As long as you make the show great, I'm going to be good with you. And so I just, that was such a cool experience. So I'd Wait, go out he would up, go back up, we'd go back up and do another hour usually. Whoa. Yeah. So his shows were usually like two and a half hours. That's unheard of. Yeah. So, and his fan base is bananas. Like they're so grassroots because he never had like label. Like he built it all from YouTube. And so, um, he didn't need like his fans don't, they're just different. They're a different kind of fan base. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, the closest thing I ever saw to it in club world would have been, uh, I worked with John reap at side splitters one time and watching him and how he interacted with his fans and the connection he had on stage, that yeah. folksiness, that was the closest thing I'd ever seen to Tim Hawkins. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But anyway, because of that, I was like, man, this guy's just different. And so it made me think when I started bringing people out with me, I tried to like not make them open cold unless I just need them. Like, hey, man, I don't know this yeah. crowd. I'm, they don't know me. I need you to open cold. But sometimes I'll bring them up in the middle and all that's from Tim. I just kind of learned like, well, you know, you put the person in the best possible situation and show a little grace. And uh, that's crazy. man, it made it made a big difference. Yeah, going up like that when people are still like getting their seats and the lights aren't even low yet, and you're like, "Hey," uh, and they're like, "Who's this clown? Is he doing announcements?" You know, it's a whole different thing than when somebody's been killing for an hour and they bring you out right. with this huge intro. They roll up the red carpet for you. You know, one one church tried to hire me to do a women's conference in a big auditorium, but they wanted to put me up during the intermission. Yeah start the show in hopes that my jokes would bring people from the lobby into the auditorium like a barker <laughs> and i go i don't that's not gonna you know i um, i had a i told them no i, I want the show to be as successful as, as possible right. and yeah. that, that's just not gonna i need an attentive audience and that's a bummer when you have to like protect someone who is paying you from themselves yeah that's a weird feeling when you're like I know you think this is a great idea and I appreciate the money that you're going to pay me. Yeah. But I want this to work so that you don't have like a bad taste in your mouth when this is over. So I'm going to tell you now, don't do this. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes I just go, whatever they're, they're determined to do it. But over the years, I've put my foot down a few times. Cause I was like, you don't understand. Or sometimes the worst feeling, and I know you've had this feeling too, Danny is when you kill in their mind, but they don't know how good it could have been. Had yeah. they done like five or uh, five or six other things. Like they didn't lower the lights or the sound system was bad or yeah. the back rows couldn't hear you. And they go, oh, it was one of the best events. Like a corporate event is very famous for this. Like if you do a company event, yep. the most you can hope for is like a seven out of 10. Right. You know, like a seven out of 10 would be a standing ovation at any other event. Right. Because it's so stiff. It's a meeting or it's a speakers are in the ceilings of a yes. ballroom. Yes. 
And so you, if you get seven out of 10 at a corporate, it's like fireworks going off in your head. Yeah. But like, sometimes they'll be like, Oh, so amazing. So amazing. And you just think to yourself, you've got no yeah. clue what this could have been. And I hate to be that way because it sounds arrogant, but you know what I mean? It's like, they didn't even really give the best scenario for you. Yeah. Still pulled it off. <laughs> I had a company, uh, they wanted me to enter the enter the banquet room of the hotel during dinner uh-huh. and bump into the CEO and it would be pre-planned. They don't know a comedian's coming. Bump into the CEO who's carrying a tray of drinks and they all spill over. We have a bit of an argument. I grab the microphone and I go, I'm your comedian tonight. Oh, no. And then just proceed. And I go, I love the uh, a dollar amount you're offering but i I, swear, <laughs> I go i swear to you please tell them there's a comedian coming yeah. and they're done with dinner mm-hmm. maybe they have coffee and dessert and there's lights are lowered and and sure enough they did they agreed with me that's good it went great right but that would have been horrible i know too many comics that just go along with yeah yeah i try to put myself in their shoes on the monday morning after the event and i want them to be able to walk in and be like See, I told you guys, this was my guy. And yeah. Trying to get that win for them. And if you see something that's in that way, in the way of that win, and you go, you think this is going to make you look even better that I bumped in and knocked the drinks out. And right. now you can take a joke and you're funny. This is going to make it not a win. If right. you don't do what I say. Like, yeah. yeah. It's a weird thing though, but that's, yeah. Sometimes it's like, you've got to be the adult in the room and be like, I've done this a thousand times. Yeah. And this doesn't. This doesn't, this won't work. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes people are determined and they think, you know, especially if you go to like some places where they have creatives on staff right. and they want to be, they want to be a part of it. Right. I did an event one time. It was a corporate and uh, it was for Serve Pro. They do like fire and water restoration. Yeah. yeah. And they're a great company. But they saw me at a show with uh, Tim Hawkins and they were like, oh, we'd love to have you come to our national event, which it's amazing. They have like these franchisees and it's like yeah. all like millionaires, these people that work for these companies, it's crazy. So yeah. they all gather, it's a cocktail dress and black tie event. And then you'll come out and it was at uh, a Gaylord Opryland hotel. And I was like, great. So I go out and I was meeting them with them to talk about the thing. And they go, we've got a couple of guys that was the guys who had hired me that saw me and they were the PR directors or whatever and the marketing people. And it was a two guys and they said uh, well we're kind of funny we're always and i was like when you hear that you're like oh no they're yeah. gonna please don't say you want to do anything <laughs> sure enough well i do this thing called the joke medley where i do like a one-liners thing over guitar and then they go we love that and uh, we thought we could all do that to get we could come out it's because i was doing like you know some corporate things where you do like i'll do 10 minutes of jokes and you read a list of names and i'll do 10 it was one of those kind of events right here's our diamond sponsors our diamond award winners. right right, right and they right. read 18 names and you come out and do 10 more minutes so I knew it was going to be not great, but it really was. It was one of those events where like it could not, it, I, whatever it was, I was undefeated that night. But then when they had wanted to do that thing, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. And they kept pushing. And I was like, I'm going to cost myself this event if I don't say yes. And so they said, well, if you want to, uh, we'll write some jokes. We'll write some one-liners. I go, okay. Are these going to be like dad jokes or like street yeah. jokes or whatever? And they go, well, we'll figure it out. And it got closer to the event they came up with their jokes and their jokes were like, just okay. And I was like, I don't want to like bury you guys though. Right. Because it'll look weird. If like I tell a joke, that's a solid joke. And then you guys, every time you tell a joke, it gets nothing. And yeah. you're the leaders of the, this event. Like it's weird. And um, so I did, what I did was I thought was the gracious thing. I said, let me just, I've got like 80 
one-liners. Let me just give you some of mine. Yeah. And uh, they were like, you do that? I go, yeah. And so that's what I did. So we went down the row and they Boom. just did. And it worked. Yeah. Because they could deliver it. You know, they, they knew how to talk in front of a group. And so they yeah. could deliver the joke. They just maybe couldn't necessarily write the joke. But actually, I'm glad I did it that way. I could have just been like, no, I'm not going to. And I'm not going to give you my jokes. What are you crazy? Like, right. these are my babies or whatever. But I was like, stop being so precious about everything. Yeah. You're there to the entertain. Event. Right. So I did it and it worked out great. And I've done it one other time since then, actually. They had me come do it when it was in Seattle and uh, they were great. But uh, yeah, sometimes you're, that's one of those, your ego's not your amigo moments, I guess. Yeah. Where you go, All right, well, the right thing to do is to put my foot down and be like, this is my art. And the, probably the, the actual right thing to do is to be like, what do I care? Yeah. Who's, who's here? You know what I'm saying? This um, is on, it's on TV. Right, you know? <laughs> right, right. 500 serve pro employees yeah and they were great but it's that thing of like let yourself just be taken by the moment and do whatever serves the event the best i i'm glad you brought up the uh the one-liners or jokes at the end of your set because that was yeah. the end of your dry bar special with the guitar yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm, i was gonna ask you and i don't want to keep you too much longer you've been very generous with your time yeah. but um your writing style so your random thoughts or jokes at the end of your set over guitar reminds me of uh um something i do in my act for a list of things where i couldn't find a place for these smaller right. jokes mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i lump them into like these are groups of people that agitate me whether it's uh yeah yeah you know so and i put them in that and I, so i found a place in my act for so That's a what cool idea it's a good setup yeah how what's your do you intentionally sit down and write do you have a thought and put it on a napkin and then come back to it like what's your writing style? yeah um it's it's changed over the years i think in the beginning i was just so desperate to have like i was trying to cobble together a good 30 minutes and a good whatever like in the church market it's a little bit different which i do some churches still and now some some secular market stuff and some I, I, it's all mixed but in the beginning when you start out in churches you can't just be like i got five minutes like right they're bringing you in to do their dinner you need to have a solid 45 minutes at least sure so it's a lot of pressure so i took put a lot of pressure on myself to get that really quick and then i think it slowed down a little bit stephen wright used to talk about like when he used to go outside it would be like his ideas would come to him almost like a snowstorm and now it's flurries or whatever <laughs> now when stephen wright writes his one-liners the one-liners are different i think those came to me because uh, of Twitter. I got on Twitter in like 2008 and I was writing these long form jokes and it kept being like, eh, too many characters. And I was like, oh, so I'd Ooh. shorten it down, eh, too many characters. And I would finally end up with this crafted thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's, a, that's just as funny as the thing that I wrote that was the paragraph. Right. So over the course of like a year on Twitter, I had like 40 of these things that I really thought were interesting and i was like well i don't have any where do i put these i don't just want to right. launch into one-liners and that's not really the style of my act and so i put them to music because i already had the guitar with me on stage and and obviously other comics have done that people always want to compare it to like dimitri i think dimitri's the guy who made it probably the most famous but one of the reasons i got into comedy was a guy named gary mule deer i don't know if you know who gary is but no like, i never heard of like him. A, he's like an uh old guard guy and uh, he does the opry a lot and he toured like opening for like a bunch of country artists and he would do this thing where he would uh he would play he would start playing his guitar and doing like one-liners or like street jokes and then he would uh drop his pick and he would bend down and he'd have the mic on his guitar and then he would bend down and say a while he was down there he would just say a joke into that mic right then he would come back up here and say a joke into this mic and then he'd be like i'm going back down here 
<laughs> it was like such a funny vaudeville yeah. thing. So it's such a funny, and it always tickled me as a kid. And, and uh, so that's one of the reasons I started doing like spoken yeah. word comedy with a guitar because I liked him and uh, more than Dimitri. I like Dimitri, but it was just people just automatically think if you do jokes with a guitar that it's Dimitri or Zach Galifianakis. Or, right, right. Uh, which is fine. I don't care. Because I mean, it's not like I'm, they're, they're different jokes. It's just a, it's a gimmick. Sure. They're just sure. all gimmicks. We're just trying to get laughs up here. Yeah. But yeah, so those come a little bit differently. Sometimes I think that can be tricky uh, to your point about writing those. Like when you write a joke that's a one-liner, maybe it starts out as like a one-liner, but it should go on in your notebook to be like a five-minute bit. But if it right. lives in your act as a one-liner for too long, it just kind of dies. It's like a cemetery for that yeah. joke. Yeah. Because you never really expand on it. I've had jokes that's happened to, I think, where I go, that should have really been like a five or six minute thought and yeah I just, I let yeah. it i let it decay you know but sometimes things are only funny for 15 seconds and you got to just be like this was a 15 second joke and that's good yeah and that's so frustrating you do a joke once or a bit and kills and then it never you're like what did i do last yeah. year yeah. that made this work so when you think of a song like you know you think of a, an idea for a song do you kind of just I got to step away and write this out. Or you just kind of make a mental Sometimes note. Sometimes I, I the song bits come really scattershot. I started out in music. So you would think that'd be the most natural thing to me, but I wasn't the songwriter in our group. I was a singer. And so uh, when I started doing music bits, um, it just was like a hiding place, hide behind the guitar. And okay, I feel comfortable doing this. So a lot of my act was guitar. Now, most of it's monology and the guitar is like a little throw in at the end. Uh, more so it's like 20 percent right the end. but i need more music bits i have like a folder in my computer i use evernote i have like a folder in my computer that's like you know 18 or 19 songs that are like 20 percent done i really have to grind on them you know and and uh, i don't know like i'm making the one that i really want to finish now is about like uh, hyperbole and love songs about you know there's there's been a five or six songs that uh, that talk about like until the sun burns out, as long as the sky is above us, I'll still love you, and all this stuff. You know, it's right. all this hyperbole and love songs, flowery language. And so I'm working on one that's kind of it'll start out like that, and then it'll get really like apocalyptic. You know, when the alien pod people come down and take us all, and we live in separate right. jars, I'll still care for you. You know, that kind of thing. right, right. So there's ideas like that that I love. My favorite kind of bit musically is when you're playing something really pretty and singing something really softly but it's horrifying yeah yeah i think that that juxtaposition makes me laugh more than anything like painting a really picture of something that's really absurd yeah uh and so that's the kind of thing that makes me laugh and so i try to give that to the audience uh, if i can't when i'm doing musical comedy so a lot of my songs are very short you know that if you watch my music bits they're yeah, yeah. boom 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 pull the rug get out and so it's kind of ADD, you know. It fits perfectly. audience, yeah. And not only are you, from what I can tell, not musically inclined, a good guitar player, you're a good singer. Yeah, thanks. Um, that's, and that's why I got started. That was kind of my comfort zone, I guess, a little bit. And um, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of comics that use music in their act kind of talk sing or they're, you know, they're yeah. just kind of like, uh, and it's fine, but um. I think that's a little bit shot. When I pull out the guitar and start to sing, I think people are a little bit surprised that that it's not going to be that. Yeah. I've seen 45 minutes of just monology and then they go, oh, okay. Especially By when the I'm way, I've never heard the word monology before. Oh, yeah. 
before today. Yeah, like traditional stand-up. Yeah. So anyway, when I do I it. uh zanies, it's it's interesting because it's like I get a little bit nervous because you never know who's in the audience. I did a show the other day and it was uh um who wrote uh what's her name? Uh Leanne Womack was in the crowd. Oh wow. Uh I hope you dance. So like at Zanies, you don't know. You could be like singing in like real, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you could have. Uh, I did. I did Zanies once many years ago. I featured for Renee Bray. Oh yeah. And I don't know if they still do this, but they put the feature acts up in the is the office slash one bedroom house right next to Zanies still. It is, but now they got a condo. Yeah. Okay. It yeah, was the behind a Dollar show, General right? or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's right. Yeah. I auditioned for Last Comic Standing there as well. Oh right, that's right. That was what oh eight, I guess. I was in the snow. Like I had that, yeah. two inches on my shoulder. Yeah, Finally get in, was... and I'm shaking. The guy's like, "Is it cold out there?" I'm like, it's "Snowing." Uh, that's pretty rare here too. That's so funny. That was the year that I started, and so people were like, "Oh, you got to go audition." I was like, "I'm not audition. I don't. I'm not ready for this." Yeah. No. I mean, three I'm... minutes. Do three minutes in front of two people. Yeah. One laughed, one didn't. And I was like, okay, is that? And they're like, all right, thanks. I'm like, all right. And then that was the year I saw John Heffron leave in the same car as the judges. And he was- <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a red flag. I was like, oh, I guess I shouldn't be. Anyway. Yeah, I think the thing I heard was, and I don't know if it's, I'm not confirmed it, but the thing I heard was like by season two or three or four, all of the top 10 finalists all conveniently had the same exact manager. Yeah, who's the ex- executive producer? Was it Bob something or Ken? It was like, uh, they're all his guys. And you're like, all right, interesting. I wonder if my vote really is counting on this. Right. Now they don't even make a, the last season they did, they were just like, look, we're inviting comics we like and we're not going to follow. Yeah. They don't even, which I get is probably better because it makes for better a better show. Like putting everybody in a house together. I mean, there's something, there's an element to that that I think people loved then back then. But now yeah. I just don't know. I don't know. I wish there was more live stand-up on TV. I really do. I mean, I grew up and it was everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But, it is yeah. frustrating, though, at times seeing, like, something on TV portrayed as new up-and-coming comedians. Yeah. And it turns out they have a Comedy Central special. They've been on Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. And, like, no, they're already established. Right. They wanted to... These shows, it's very important to them to have discovered you. You know, yeah. they want to launch you. And so they, they'll even like mess with your backstory and be like, all right, so you tell them that you're trying stand up. Right. You, thought you might want to try it. You're like, well, I've been doing this 10 years. No, no, no. This is your, this is your pipe dream. Yeah. And when Howie Mandel gives you the thumbs up, that's going to be the moment where you're a real boy. And until then you're just Pinocchio. And you're like, I don't love this. I already have fans. Right. They're going right. to be really turned off by this, but okay. And you go do it. But you've seen that, right? Like shows where this guy's oh, new, sure. new and he's like, but we, I know he's had a Comedy Central special. I know. He's I mean, Doug wrong. Benson did Last Comic Standing after he had done Comedy Central. Yeah. He did a 30 minute special and then he did the Last Comic Standing. I was like, all right, dude. I mean, even Reap. Reap had television commercials and yeah, he was a stand up star. And don't get me wrong. I'm happy for these. I want every comedian to be successful, but yeah, I want to yeah, portray yeah. it in a way. But it's like, I think the, the deal is you're not a real, until we make you a household name, you don't get to count what you've been doing on the road in Topeka. Yeah. You know, yes. There's a little bit of a, you know, esoteric nature to it. Like we're until you're in our club. Yeah. Which I get it, but that's kind of a fear too of mine. Like if you do a show like that and you go on AGT, the worry is that you burn material. 
you can never do again, right? They start coming to the shows, but if you do the stuff you did on AGT, it's like, well, that's why we're here. Why would you? You're like, yeah, oh, those have been my jokes for. So that's a weird fear. I guess it's a unfounded. Most people will never. Experience. No, I think. I mean, I've gotten a little bit of that from my dry bar. Not a whole lot, but I remember doing shows in Hilton Head, and there was a tabletop of six or eight people, and they were they made it known they were fans of dry bar and i was about to go into my chusky weight doctor bit right and i hear one of them in the front row lean over to the other half of the table go listen to these these are great yeah about my jokes rattle you no i better write some new jokes that's the hard part about comedy too is uh compared to music because i've done a little bit of both and so it's like people always ask me what's the difference and the main difference is comedy is all about surprise and music is about like familiarity mm. if you go to a show and leonard skinner does not do free bird you're mad you're lighting the seats on fire right but right. if you go see me unless it's a gigantic bit like hot pockets or something right where gaffigan will like i've heard he'll close the show with hot pockets yeah or do the encore with hot pockets. right do the hot encore with hot pockets so like if unless it's something like that where it's so big that it just defies you know it's a part of the culture but yeah. for the most part, if you come into my show and I just do all the jokes, you know, you're going to be really bummed out. But if you go to a band and they don't do the songs, you know, then you're bummed out. Yeah. Like it's such a strange. So you got to you got to have a, a little bit of a curveball for them. I don't know, but it's hard. I love hard. trying out new material, though. I I, uh, I definitely don't write as much as I used to um, or need to. I I definitely write more ideas down, but maybe I, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I now choose because of my experience to vet them on stage a little bit. That's more. what I do too. Yeah. I, mean, I think before in the beginning, I had like these little rules almost. It was like, I didn't say it out loud, but it, one, the main one that was that it needed to be funny on paper before I would say it on stage. Mm. And um, that was probably a dumb rule, especially once I started touring with Tim and I would see him get laughs from like the craziest stuff, just a facial yeah. expression or the way he pursed his lips between a song lyric. And I'd go, Oh, he's like got a piece painting with a whole other palette. And here I am trying to be so cerebral. Right. I'm like outsmarting myself. And, um, but that was kind of an unwritten rule. Like you could almost like Mitch Hedberg. Like if I just read you some Mitch Hedberg jokes, you would get laughs. Right, right. You know, but even though I didn't, I don't have to deliver them like Mitch Hedberg and look at the ground and wear the sunglasses and have the hair. Like Mitch Hedberg is just a funny writer. But like some jokes, if I read you, you'd go, "What is that?" And but then if you see somebody do it, you go, "This yeah. is amazing." It's so you want both. And I work out on stage more. I'll write an idea down. It'll have one or two sentences, and I'll take it up and I'll see. Because at that point, how grateful are we when we get a really good audience that you can be comfortable enough to right. go down? Yeah, that yeah. road of it. You need both. Uh, my one of my favorite things I always say. Uh, there was a, a writer, Chicago writer, uh, and comedian named Bill Gorgo, and uh, I went to one of his writing classes, and he said, uh, in performance classes, and he said that when you're starting out, and when you, as you go on as a comedian, you need good audiences and bad audiences because yeah. good audiences will help you explore, and bad audiences will help you edit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always remembered that. So when I'm in front of, when I'm in front of a tough audience, I'm like, it's time to figure out how to edit. Yeah. Got, this has gotten too wordy probably, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. but a, a good audience will help you. Like you say, you say one or two extra sentences and that's how you come up with cool tags. You're like, Oh, this is some place I never would have gone had I not been crushing. Yeah. So you need that conf that confidence boost, but yeah. And then, the, then the next challenge is, and I know I said, I wouldn't keep you, but I keep talking is remembering what you said when you do expand on those jokes 
Yeah. What did I say? What did I, if I'm not recording yeah. it, I'm like, I got to remember I that. No, I got to record more. I bought a new like rig to take out with me on the road to start recording a lot more of my stuff, a little like wireless uh, lapel thing. And I got to start using it more because yeah, you just never know. Sometimes I won't take it off. I'm like, well, this is going to be a tough show and I already know it. So I'm not going to use anything. And then if you get like a great moment, you're like, what am I thinking? It was so stupid. Yeah. Just put it on. What does it matter? Yeah. I'll yell for one of the other comedians to write down what I just said. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Tim used to have a guy that traveled with him, uh, one of his uh, road manager guys. And uh, I remember on the, one of the first few weekends out with Tim, I would notice he had an iPad in the back. And I was right. like, what are you doing? And then at the end of the show, we'd be on the bus and Tim would be like, hey, can you send me the notes from tonight? And wow. Send the folder over or whatever. And it would be like the extra stuff that Tim said. Yeah, wouldn't it be great? Isn't isn't it going to be great? Not <laughs> when we have guys or ladies like a team. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like ah, yeah, I got a, I got a yeah, wardrobe. Pretty, yeah, I gotta go check yeah. the wardrobe guy. And I got a video guy, and I yeah. got it. Yeah. yeah. Right now it's all me, and it's not done very well. Yeah. Well, you get a lot of hands in that pie, though. Sometimes you know I've seen the dark side of that too, where it's like everybody's sure. everybody's in there, and you're like, all right, well, how much did we make? And then you're like, well, we paid this guy, we paid this guy. Yeah. You know, Billy, you know who Billy Gardell is? Uh-huh. Mike and Molly and like, uh, Bob Hart's Abishola. He once told me, he goes, when you get to a certain level, Danny, uh, every time you put your hand in your pocket, I want you to be prepared to shake three hands that are already there. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I don't know, there's something, that's kind of the, what's cool about being a road comic uh, and is like being self-employed like that is like, you're responsible for it, which is very scary sometimes because you're like, if this goes down, there's nobody else to blame. Like you're so alone on stage. Every every weakness is exposed. Yeah. But if it goes well, like like I, nobody's gonna tell me what to say or what not to say. Generally, like I'm, I get to edit this. I get to. If I have a crazy idea on the way to the stage. I can try it out. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There's very few jobs that have that kind of autonomy. Yeah. Um, that's can't be neat. a surgeon and be like. I just thought of this new I, way to go about the aorta. What if we go in this way? They're like, I don't think you want to do that. No, no, no. I've been doing this for 10, 20 years. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I want to do some stuff. I'm an artist up here. And they're like, sir, your ego's not your amigo. That's what they would say. <laughs> so, Johnny, listen, I'm a fan. I'm uh, very grateful that you took this hour out of your time to, to chat with me. I'm envious of your office. You got the beautiful guitars, nice Thanks. picture, some sort of checklist. The backdrop. This is just a. This is yeah. all fake. This is green screen. I went with, <laughs> I went with the comedian. I guess to yeah. remind myself that I am one. Myself and other people. The dry yeah. bar poster of me thirty pounds ago, <laughs> and uh, Don Rickles autograph. Right. There. Oh my gosh! You can't beat Rickles. He's one of those guys too that could never exist today. Which is no. like no. people say that and they go cancel culture and and I don't believe cancel culture is like as bad as people say. Yeah. Most people are just getting accountability for what they've said that were cruel and hurtful. But with Rickles, he's one of those guys that truly is, there's no way. Yeah. We're too, we're way too sensitive for it's him. All in, all in the family and Don Rickles, you know, oh, those two gosh. things would never fly. He's so, he was the best, just the best. And like, and it, to be roasted by him, what an honor. Would, yeah. Yeah. So that's cool, man. So your what was what was the name of your special? Because on YouTube, where I watched it, um, yeah. they often change the title of the full. They thing. do. They change when they put it on YouTube. I don't know what I don't know what the reasoning is. I never have asked them. Uh, 
but yeah, they called on YouTube. They called it. Uh, it was something United, about the states. United States hate each other. Yeah. Wow, that's really like. I know. I was like, oh, he's controversial. Like aggressive. Yeah. And my actor is not aggressive at all. And so I was like, is this to get clicks? Like, what is? And people thought that was what I called the special. I think right. the special is called uh, "Not My Cup of Tea." Okay. And Which so that's what it is. Account. If it's on the app, that's what you would search for. Not my. You poison the wrong person. That's the that's joke. right. This next, that's right. This next one is going to be called uh, "Results May Vary." That's fantastic the title. Yeah, uh, and it's from one of the jokes in there about uh, a buddy of mine who was working out with me, and we lost the same amount of weight, but he got pecs and abs, and I didn't. And I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "You got to shave your chest, <laughs> your stomach, and it creates shadows and makes the muscles pop." And I was like, "If you're in here thinking of doing this." Let me just say results may vary. And I do a whole thing about how I did it. And that's great. I look like a fat toddler. And it's a whole and, thing. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. And people can go to johnnyw.com, J-O-N-N-I-E-W.com, right? Yes, sir. That's right. And you can find out I got a bunch of tour dates coming up and uh, and the dry bar should be out. By the time this drops out, the, the dry bar should be out the second one. So go and watch uh, 30 more minutes of me. And if I'm in Nashville or if you're near Jacksonville, let's, yeah. uh, let's grab some grab some lunch. I'd love to do it again. We'll make it happen, Danny. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.